Must be gluttons for punishment. Just keep coming back. Let me us again remind us of what we have been working up to by referring you again to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. The Apostle Paul, of course, laying the foundation for truth, as he always did, begins the fourth chapter by saying this, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech ye that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And now there is a message in itself. So I don't know, maybe I ought to just stop there and preach about walking worthy of the vocation wherein you are called. How many of you are aware that you are called to a vocation or something you're supposed to do? I'll get to mind everybody here in a minute. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. Thank God for in you all. <laughs> but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Parenthetical in the ninth verse, in parentheses, now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? A lot of people think this is where he went to hell and preached, but we won't go into that because he never never went to hell. Jesus has never been to hell to preach or anything else. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heaven that he might fill all things. And he gave. Thank God for Christ giving. And he gave some apostles and some prophets some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for a reason. For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry or for the work of the saints' ministry, also for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or a mature man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, being filled with the Spirit of God till there's no room for anything else in us. That is filled to the fullness of the statue of Jesus. 
a man filled fully with God. And that is the reason that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him on all things, which is the head even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined or framed together, like you would frame a building, they frame a body, and compacted or knit by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making the increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. So it talks specifically the necessary involvement of every child of God that it would supply the thing that is needed in the body until the body increase unto the edifying of itself in love. I'm going to end off there. It's such a beautiful chapter and so many things has already been spoken that you could preach on about one or two of those verses for about two hours, but I have an idea you won't stay with me that long, so I'll cut it down to an hour and a half. Okay? All right, now we have been studying church government. We have been studying church discipline and different things about the church. We've been studying what a church is. It's not an organization, but it's an organism. It was instituted by Christ. The church has two ministries in it, elders and uh, functions, elders and deacons, and also studied about the principles of church government to stress the spiritual life and health of the church, the necessity of a healthy church, foundations of a spiritual government. First there comes quality, and then procedure, Then there's a condition to be met, and then there's a method of leading that. And then there's first an organism, and then there's an organization. In other words, it's like the blood that flows through a body, and the bones or skeleton part of it is the organization. We've talked about principles of church governments and the cautions therein. There must be an order of balance. There must be a democracy must not be a democracy. A democracy is when people rule. A monarchy is when one man rules. And a theocracy is when a church is ruled divinely through its elders or through its ministries under the inspiration of God. So we do not in the church have a democracy. Neither do we have a monarchy which is one person ruling it all, but we have a theocracy where God rules through those that are divinely called. We've talked about healthy church government, talked about a leader spending or leaders spending their time investing themselves and their vision and doctrine and maturity into key men and women that are, of course, the same heart and mind as he. 
We belong to the church and we don't have the same heart and mind as the leadership, then of course we won't stay long and we won't abide under it anyway if we do stay. And if they don't share these things and still attach themselves to the body, it makes for an unhealthy body. And certainly we need a healthy body. Talked about church discipline some time ago. I hope we haven't forgot that. A meeting in need for church discipline. God considers discipline necessary because when we submit to the rules of the kingdom of God, we receive the very nature and the character of Christ. When we offend the church and its members and leadership, we offend Christ. Because of sin and, rebe- sin and rebellious, rebellion is contagious. When that begins in the church, why well, then it will spread. Anytime you have rebellion or sin in the church that is not dealt with, it spreads among the different members of the church. And when it does that, then you find total division. Also, there's a difference between discipline and punishment. Discipline is a form of training, which God wants. Punishment is when we inflict pain. Talked about what offenses require church discipline, and those are doctrinal offenses and behavioral offenses. The main one, of course, being the disorderly, which violates all the teachings and simply says, this don't apply to me. Talks about much about gossipers and busybodies making their own rules because God tells them what to do. They don't have to learn from any man. And then it talks to us about elders who sin, and it also says that an elder, which is anyone in the leadership, that's called an elder, a minister, you're not to receive an accusation but before two or three witnesses. These are lessons that has been presented for our learning and our admonition to show the mindset of people and congregation today that our mindset won't be like that. And to show how much alike that we are of Israel of old, where it says in Judges 17, 6, But every man did that which was right in his own eye. And also to show how impossible it is have the thing that we're praying for if we continue with the same mindset that we are. And so God ministers to us about possible changes necessary in our individual lives as well as that's necessary in the congregation, in the house of God. Realize we are the temple of God. I understand that. And so he begins first with the temple of God. But also he talks about the household of faith, which is different than our temple. And so he talks about the temple of God, which begins with us, and then the household of faith, which encompasses the whole congregation. To let us know and understand that if we are to obtain the things that we have prayed for and cried for, then we have to change our mindset and be schooled and willing to be changed in those areas. Of course, if we don't know the need of change, if God's Word does not challenge us or cannot challenge us, then, of course, we will not change and we will not see the need of change. And so, consequently, that comes with the ministries of the fivefold ministry. Now, what you need to understand about that is everyone 
of a minister or an elder has a primary calling. Now, he may fit and fill in more of those when it is necessary, but each one has a primary calling, whether it be a primary calling of an apostle. There is a possibility that he might have to fill in as prophet or sometimes as evangelist and sometimes as a teacher and sometimes as pastor for a while, but primary calling of course, remains the same. So whatever our calling is, we need to understand it. And we're going to go through the fivefold ministry as briefly and yet as thoroughly as we possibly can so that leadership can recognize that and the saints also can recognize who they might have in their midst and understand that sometimes... You might have something in your midst that you haven't been aware of and also understand as far as leadership is concerned that every one of these fivefold ministries need to make their way into a particular congregation every so often and if they happen to be residing in that congregation they need an outlet in that congregation every so often to balance the ministry. So we're going to begin, number one, with the ministry of an apostle. According to Vine's expository dictionary of New Testament words, the word apostle means one that's sent forth with a particular message given them by God. Now the pictorial Bible dictionary adds, one that is chosen and sent with a special commission, with special messages as a fully authorized representative of the sender to the congregations that they go to. That is the main focus of an apostle. As we divide all the Testament scriptures referring to the apostles, under separate categories, we find a list that follows. Number one, the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ. You'll find that in Hebrews 3.1. Now that is necessary that we know that because this describes his relationship to God and his ministry to man. It's farther spoken of in John 17, 3 and 8. Now you write those down because it's going to take me longer than necessary anyway, so I don't want to have to turn to those and read them. So number one, it's important that we know that Jesus Christ, number one, was an apostle and he was the high priest of our profession and described his unique relationship to God that he was close to God in prayer and in adoration to God and also his ministry to man. You have to have a relationship with God before you can have a ministry to man. Almost all the elders has to have that. And then the Bible talks about the twelve apostles of the church. You'll find those listed or referred to in Matthew 10, 1 through 8, and Luke 6, 13. 
Now these apostles were personally chosen by Christ in his bodily presence, and he also named them apostles. In doing this, he was distinguishing them again, setting them apart from the general term disciple or learner. In other words, they had learned through the fullness of Jesus and the power of the Holy Ghost, and they were not learners anymore, and he referred to them as apostles or one sent to bear that which he had learned and propitiated or spread about. Now, these twelve are referred to as the twelve apostles of the Lamb, who are the foundations of the New Jerusalem. They have a special, unique calling, according to Revelations 21:14. And when you read Revelations, these particular twelve apostles seem to correspond directly with the twelve tribes of Israel, and they seem to have a permanent identity throughout all the ages. So it's important that we make the distinction there. And then, of course, the Apostle Paul and others write concerning false apostles, those who claim to be apostles but whose life and ministry does not prove it. You'll find uh, that listed in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15, and also most especially Revelations through the writer John the Revelator in Revelations 2 and 2. They talk about them becoming more prominent as we get closer to the end of the age, false prophets will be more prominent. You're finding that happening already. And then, of course, apostle to the Gentiles, which was the apostle Paul. He affirmed that in himself, Romans 11:13, and Acts 9:15. Now, Paul didn't have any qualms about referring to himself as an apostle over 20 times. He referred to himself as an apostle, one called out of due season. And his special call, of course, was to the Gentiles. This was necessary because of the Judeo concept of the other apostles concerning Gentiles, and God would have been hard-pressed to send them to the Gentiles with a special commission. And so he calls the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus and he appoints him and sends him to the Gentiles. You read concerning that, and he had a little effort once in a while of, of securing the help of a lot of the other apostles because of his special, special calling. And he's the first man recorded who made any systematic missionary effort to evangelize the Gentiles. And then, of course, there's apostles of the church. We just read concerning them that he gave the churches, some churches, apostles. You'll find that in Ephesians 4, 11, 13. And also he writes it again to the Corinthian church in 
1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 29. And these are to be continuing ministries throughout the church age. Nowhere is it taught that the apostolic ministry would ever cease, rather that it would be more needful than ever before until the bride is perfected and presented to her husband. And certainly the bride, of course, is called out from among the church, and God is seeking to make perfect or mature his bride, and so the Apostle Paul deemed it necessary for apostles to be in operation throughout the entire church age. In other words, he was saying we need every gift that Christ has given to the church. And when I talk about gifts, I'm not talking about spiritual gifts now. I'm talking about the gift of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These are gifts that God has given to the church. Now, you may not like some of the gifts that he gives to the church, but that's your problem. Amen? <laughs> that's not God's problem. Okay, now I have received some gifts that I didn't necessarily like, but in the long run, I found them very important to stabilize my life. And so apostles are placed there for a need, especially as we enter into the last days. Now, they weren't, have been necessary all through the church age. You saw when you read concerning the dark ages, you saw the necessity of the apostles come out from the dark ages and begin to establish again the fundamental principles of the doctrine of Christ. Now, these were those in the New Testament apart. Now, you need to understand this. Apart from the twelve that we referred to as apostles. Apostles. Now, Barnabas and Paul was called that. Paul was not of the twelve. Okay? Many people say, well, he took the place of some of them, but no, he didn't. He took his own place, and he became the 13th, so to speak. He did not take the place of anybody when they cast lots for who it was that individual remained that apostle for that time. Okay, but Paul was called out for a certain work. Also, you find in Titus, Titus 1 and 5, he seems to be involved also in the apostolic ministry as he goes about setting things in order and establishing new churches and ministering truths to individuals given him directly by Almighty God and substantiated by the Scriptures. Also, you'll find others like Savannah and Timothy often mentioned in the openings of Paul's letters and they traveled with the Apostle Paul being trained and functioning in the fathering and caring of the churches. So the Apostle Paul was training them, and when he believed they had reached the qualifications in their life, as well as in their abilities and their ministries, then he sent them out to do an Apostle's work. Now in Revelations 2.2, it says they were still trying those who claimed to be apostles and 
Notice the plural there. And John was the only one of the twelve left. And he soon passed away from the scene. Others you're going to find in Romans 16 and 7, Galatians 1, 19, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1, and 2, 6. And also there's places where they intimated the apostolic ministry. In 1 Corinthians 3, 3, 6, Philippians 2.25 and 2 Corinthians 8.16-23. The word apostle is applied to about 25 persons that we can find and sometimes it's translated messenger but comes from the same Greek word as apostle. Why they do those things I don't know. But it's from the same word, and sometimes it's translated in our uh, New Testament as messengers, but it is speaking concerning an apostle. So in order to understand the present-day ministry of an apostle, I want us to understand the function, first of all, of the original apostles. Now, like I started to say, I'm not going to bear too much on the apostolic ministry because the apostles and the prophets are so closely knit together that I would be doing repetition and it would be doing a disservice to you to continue repetition but so you can understand that they are individuals yet today that are working in the ministry of the apostles now, it would help if we would answer or ask the question concerning all these categories of apostles. Question number one is who sent them? An apostle has to be sent, like all the other ministries, directly from God. Man must not call him. Grandmas and grandpas must not call them. <laughs> And saints must not call them, but God must, not, must call them and send them. And then where they were sent. And what was their commission after they got there? What was they supposed to be doing when they were there? Now in answering this, let us say that the original twelve were called by Christ in his bodily presence and they were trained by him in his bodily presence. So in a sense they were trained not by man. They were not trained by Christ the man. They were trained by Christ the God. So it's not very much different even though they were called by Christ in his bodily presence and trained by him. The same training comes today through the power of the Holy Ghost inside of us that trains. Now they were sent to the church and until the end of the age seemed to have an identity in eternity. Now the special job of those individuals because this was a newborn church. You can read where it first started. Then you can read some of the 
Acts of the Apostles, which was to infiltrate the idolatrous uh, things in the land. And then you can see where God gave his apostles a special job to lay the foundation that Christ taught them for the entire church age. In other words, everything that is written down by the Apostle Paul and Peter and Jude and, uh, and uh, all of those that wrote actually was what Christ taught them and they were laying the foundational truths that was to go to the end of this age. That's not going to be very much longer. They interpreted the Old Testament scriptures and they also established New Testament doctrine. In other words, they took the Old Testament and proved by the Old Testament what they were establishing in the New Testament. Thank God for both books. Amen. Ephesians 2.20 states we are built. We are built. Who's he talking about? The church of the living God, the body of Christ. He talks it in the plural. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. There is no other foundation can a man lay than that which is laid. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That's where the building started and then the foundation was laid by the apostles and prophets. Now their writings were inspired and preserved as gospel. Good news. We're out from under the blood of bulls and goats. We're out from under taking our sacrifices to the priest. Now then we have one high priest that says, Come unto me. Hallelujah. So we have the privilege of coming directly to him. They were also used to sit in, well, let's get back up here. They had a strategic position both in the historical setting and the spiritual commission. They helped the young church steady during its infancy and matured it and nurtured it into maturity. Anytime you read Paul's writings, he is speaking to an immature church, challenging it to become mature, laying the foundation of what maturity consists of and demanding that they adhere to that and build upon those things. They were fathers of the church universal. There was no other church in existence at that particular time. There wasn't denominations. There wasn't another quote-unquote church until 316 A.D. 
when Constantine gathered all these others together and manipulated a form of religion and denied the power of the Holy Ghost and the one God apostolic message and did away with baptism in the precious name of Jesus. And then when they started in, they began to slaughter. And this is history. It's written down in some of your bulletins. This is history. And that's just a smattering of what it's all about. And then because these individuals would not bow, they began martyrdom on them. But all they were faced with was idolatry. And of course they were faced with that and they ministered that. They were also used to set in order the early structure of the church and provide for its continuity and effectiveness. In other words, they wanted this young church that was birthed by Christ, endowed with the Holy Ghost, they wanted it to continue. The Apostle Paul said you're going to see a lot of things happen before the end of this age comes and I want this church to continue. And continue it has. Thank God from the powers of hell, uh, the fire couldn't burn it and the floods couldn't drown it and whatever else come and it come marching through the dark ages with the same apostolic truth that it had in the beginning of it all. And we are fortunate enough to have it inside of us. Thank God. And he wanted this church to be effective, effective, effective. They outlined the qualifications of those that would minister. We talked about them, didn't we? About what it takes to qualify to be an elder and what it takes to qualify to be a deacon. Now, for God's sake, help me, saints, with this, will you? Help me with this. If it names those qualifications, and we believe the Word of God is true, how dare we depart from this? What right do we have to do this? There is no right. And so consequently, because we have swallowed tradition for so long... We sometimes just refuse to break with it. After all, he's a loving God and, uh, and he understands. No, he don't. I minister about that too. He don't understand. And I use that, that phrase if I was to go out when we was talking about uh, spiritual adultery and uh, that's whenever you uh, go out with the world instead of God. I would go out on my wife and commit adultery and then I'd come back and I'd say, Honey, you understand, don't you? And of course she said, No way, Jose, I don't understand at all. Now I might come to her and say, Honey, that was so wrong, would you forgive me? And of course, probably she wouldn't, but I mean, you would have to if I asked you. <laughs> 
I would be sincere. I would be sincere. But in all, in all of those things, see, that's what God is trying to get us to see, that sometimes we are flirting with the world by keeping these things that's man-made inside. And when we use that phrase, God understands, He don't understand. He don't, he don't know why you would do this. In other words, if a man has a good moment at home and he goes out on her, why in the world would he want to do that when he's got something better at home? So why in the world would we want to step out on God when we've got the best thing there is right here at home with God? Hallelujah! Amen. Doesn't make much sense, does it? But yet, people do it all the time. And of course, I've made too many of you mad by telling you what you do. And you already know that if you're out here in the world and you are deserting the house of God for just your own pleasure, you are committing adultery on God. Amen. You liked that, didn't you? Okay, who meddling? They took the initiative to see that proper leadership was chosen wherein leaders were needed. Not because the world says you've got to have them, but when they were needed. They baptized converts, preached the gospel, taught doctrine. Well, that's what they did because they were establishing a church. They were setting it in order. Now, all those other things have been accomplished and they have written them in this book and you can read them for their, yourself and the apostles today of course don't have to lay the groundwork for that so they become apostles of another calling so to speak but the ministry of an apostle today is to ground the church in truth that they be not swayed by winds of doctrine that is not to say that your pastor or evangelist or teachers cannot ground you in a truth. That is simply to say that an apostle has their calling and God reveals certain truths to them because he has called them as apostles and he requires more out of them in a sense as far as conditioning themselves to get before God at all times and receive divine direct revelations of truth that has remained hidden. And open up those truths. It's not necessarily that they rewrite the Bible. They open up hidden truths where a lot of junk has been placed on top of them. And pastors sometimes have about all they can do to keep the saints in line and in order and uh, all of that until sometimes, and God knows this, they do not have time, in a sense, for refereeing saints trying to find out what is going wrong to seek these deep truths of God and 
God knew that, and so he placed in his eternal plan to call out individuals to reveal that to them that they might minister that to others. They minister truths to the body. They love God's people wherever they find them. And they desire to establish them wherever it might be in the Lord. Their vision is to the church, in a sense at large, or at least larger than just one particular church. And their influence might spread far and wide as pastors call upon them for assistance in their local assemblies. And pastors should know when they need assistance in their local assemblies. They should know when they need a prophetic ministry as well as an apostolic ministry. And they should seek to have that utilized. And there should never be any envy or jealousy on the part of any of God's fivefold ministries at any time. Each one fulfilling the commission by God Himself Amen. and used by God Himself in the capacity of God Himself. They seek to preserve unity within churches. They like to see cooperation among churches. And the Apostle Paul was very conscious of divisions and factions. And he sought to bring the brethren together. I want you to notice this. Paul called elders, plural in a sense, and placed them over the church. But yet when disunity began to develop in the churches, they sent for the Apostle Paul to bring unity, if it could be, in among the churches and God's people. Okay? The Apostle is concerned with following fathering other ministries as Paul and Barnabas opened the way and helped train Mark, helped train Timothy and others. They will also be concerned about leading each member into, of different flocks into their personal function in the body of Christ. They may lay hands on uh, individuals and prophesy in a sense over them establishing them and setting them into their place of ministry if they have not realized where it was at already. They may also pioneer new churches, establish them or raise them up from rubble. And the Bible doesn't record the efforts of the twelve as much as it does Paul's activity. We don't know or we don't really have in the Bible how much information as to how much pioneering some of the apostles did after the Jerusalem church, but we do know they were scattered abroad. 
And so we do know that there was churches established by others. Thomas went to India. Others in biblical history went to other places. And so they established churches there. Our present day missionary is not a it's not a scriptural term. It's used to refer to anybody that from a typist to an apostle. But again, missionary is a misnomer. They are also apostles. <clears throat> Probably most missionaries that establish new works and then move on to another place are functioning in the apostolic ministry. The ministry and the works that follow are proof of an apostle. You don't put a card on, around your neck and write apostle on it. You don't get up someplace and say, I'm apostle so-and-so. You fulfill your duty. You make full proof of your ministry and you fulfill your duty and you leave it to others to decide what they think maybe you might be. And it really doesn't matter what individuals think as long as they know that they have apostles in their midst at times, prophets in their midst at times, evangelists in their midst at times, and pastors who is always with the sheep. They do not desire to be any place else, to go any place else, to preach hardly any place else. And when they go, they've always got their sheep in mind. Whereas an apostle as he labors, a prophet as he labors, has individual comes through and holds four or five nights meeting. It's not what he is. Who'd they call an evangelist? Which one did they call an evangelist? Philip was an evangelist. He preached in one place and then God calls him out from that place. Now notice carefully, he evangelized there and he had people coming and you had individuals and signs and wonders there. And he brought them in with an evangelistic message. But he couldn't stay there. Because somebody else was coming along to establish them in the doctrine. And God called him out and sent him to that individual there. Imagine... Um, elder of God doing such a great work that he just leave it and go preach to one individual now God surely you made a mistake I'm going back where things was happening but here was a man that was reading aloud the word of God and Philip was trying to find out what he wanted said and he asked him a question. Does this speak of himself or from somebody else? And he said, I really don't know until somebody teach me. And so Philip begins that evangelistic 
message again and sends him on his way. And he goes to Ethiopia and he established the first church, that eunuch, in Ethiopia and until just lately those were oneness apostolic churches and Haile Selassie who ruled for so long was spirit filled baptized in Jesus name and spoke in tongues where do you reckon he got that from the messenger the messenger God bless you